0: Welcome to Had a Magical Day, the podcast about Disney parks that's like taking a vacation in the middle of your day. Hello and welcome to another episode of Had a Magical Day. I am your host, Scott Otto, and you can reach us by email at info at had a magical day. Give us any of your thoughts or feedback or ideas for other shows. You can also check out our website that has all of our podcasts. And of course, you can find the podcasts on Spotify and iTunes and other places. And we also now have uh, videos on our YouTube channel. So check that out as well. All right. Uh, this week, it's the second week of May 2022. And here is some of the latest uh, park news. So the daytime show Kite Tales at Animal Kingdom is ending on May 26th. That's obviously in Walt Disney World also Walt Disney World, they're starting to see the return to summer hours. So they announced for the next couple of weeks in May, but I think you can expect to see these hours continue to get closer to the regular summer hours as we progress. So right now uh, Magic Kingdom is 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. and they're having magic hours in the evening, 11 to 1 a.m. on certain nights of the week. It's like twice a week right now. That could change. Check your schedules before you go to the parks. So that's good news because currently, the previously the magic hours are only half an hour before openings. So if you're staying in the parks, qualified for the magic hours, you go to the park half an hour early. Uh, But now we're starting to see the evening magic hours starting to come back, which is great. Um, Also, they announced all the other parks starting to open half an hour earlier than they had been opening. So again, check your schedules before you go. That's for Disney World. Also in Disney World, they announced the Garden of the Galaxy is gonna have a virtual queue. So it's gonna be very much the way Rise of the Resistance was when it first opened. Uh, also kind of a slightly a negative thing, they announced uh, latest plans on Epcot. And it really reads like they're scaling back some of the plans they've been talking about a year or two ago uh, at the entrance, of, and also with Spaceship Earth. Um, who's gonna be a big redo of the entrance at Epcot and an upgrade of uh, Spaceship Earth. But some of those things look like they're not uh, happening. On more positive news, they announced they're bringing back Mickey's not so scary Halloween party at Disney World and in Disneyland, the uh, Oogie Boogie Bash um, is coming back this year as well. Last year, they had uh, a little something different for Halloween at uh, Disney World. But now they're going back to the regular uh, Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party. On Disneyland news, um, Tale of the Lion King show is going to be there May 28th. And it's going to run throughout uh, the summer and maybe for the rest of the year. Also, the character of the Scarlet Witch has now been introduced to the Avengers campus. So you can, if you're walking around there, you might run into the Scarlet Witch and get a, a photo with her. Also for our European friends, uh, Disneyland Paris announced the return of the annual pass party. That's not something I have at uh, at Disneyland or Disney World, but at Disneyland Paris, they have this big party for annual pass holders every year and they're bringing that back. They obviously didn't have it uh, the previous two years with the pandemic. Well, it was inevitable that I was gonna do a deep dive into the carousel of progress, uh, given that's one of my favorite rides. I know it is often maligned by people as being boring and outdated. And uh, I will get into some of the reasons why uh, I think that's not the case, but also, more importantly, why it's an important ride for Disney history and why it has remained there so long and why it will probably always be there. So, just to start, I mean, stop as if you heard this before, but the ride originally was kind of envisioned as a walkthrough. Um, so, when Disneyland first opened in 1955, Walt really loved how Main Street USA had come out. And he wanted to extend it. So he had different ideas. Depending on what you read online, there's an idea for International Street and an area called Edison Square. other places, they talk about Liberty Street and Edison Square. Well, in either case, uh, the idea for Liberty Street eventually became Liberty Square in Walt Disney World. And the idea for International Street, I think, is kind of a precursor to what became the World Showcase in, in Epcot. But Edison Square, the idea there was, it was gonna have a history of electricity and advances in electricity. And it was gonna be a show hosted by a mechanical man called Wilbur K. Watt, And but it was a walkthrough show. So you would go and you'd see one scene and then you'd go walk to the next scene. They set that aside because they couldn't make a mechanical man to Walt's satisfaction. Even though they'd gone far enough along that they you know, talked to. GE about it, GE was gonna be a sponsor. And so they were all on board with that. So that idea got shelved, but if you know anything from listening to the show and other bits of Disney history, ideas never go away forever at Disney. They always kind of come back, you know? So what happened was that basically had the, the World's Fair and they had started to do audio animatronics. So let's take a minute and talk about audio animatronics. So audio animatronics is something that Disney basically invented and even patented uh, copyrighted the term audio animatronics. Now, animatronics existed before, those are just figures that move. And in fact, Walt was really inspired when he bought a, on a trip, I think to New Orleans, he bought a bird, a mechanical bird that would move and sing. Of course, that was all mechanics. You can have the gears moving like a music box and then also moving different parts of the bird. Uh, so they had an engineer take it apart and they were thinking about building it. Also, they worked on a mechanical figure called the Dancing Man, which is based on Buddy Epson. If you go to Hollywood studios, there's a nice little exhibit about Waltz and his dreams. And you can walk through there, you can see the mechanical man. You can also see uh, the insides of Abraham Lincoln as well. But the very first uh, a- animatronics that they did in Disneyland were in the Jungle Cruise. And so that was just the animals like rising up out of the water. Very simple movements of kind of up and down or or left and right, like the man going up the tree because the rhino, it's just that up and down movement. And that was done using pneumatics. So pneumatics are tubes filled with air or gas. And so it's pressurized. And when you release the air, it pushes the thing up. And then as the air dissipates, the, the thing goes back down. Pretty simple movement. So when he was doing the bird thing and they had the idea for the enchanted tiki room, they wanted to do the same thing but they wanted to do what would become audio animatronics. So what audio animatronics does is different from just the animatronics with the uh, the pneumatic tubes, is thanks to the advances in technology at the time, there was something called magnetic recording tape, which hadn't existed much before that. And so with the magnetic recording tape, what you could do is you could record sounds that would be used to move the bird. So I want to kind of jump ahead to explain this. So when you had like the figures, when they started to do carousel progress, you'd actually create a harness and you'd have an imagineer in the harness and coming off the harness would be wires. So if he moved a certain body part that would create a signal going down the wire and that would go to the tape and that electrical signal would be turned into a sound on the tape. And when the tape is played that sound would then trigger the movement So in the cases of of the bird, like initially they just had a reed basically. So the the, the, the tape, the magnetic tape recorded, not just the movements, but also the music, right? For the show and the audio for the show. And so when it would hit that tone to move the bird's beak up, what it would do is it would vibrate a reed that would cause the, the beak to go up and then the beak would kind of close automatically. And so that was it, you had a lot of simple up and down movements and left and right movements in that ride, but the ride is so well-designed and it it works really well. It takes your, you don't notice that the, the moves are a little slightly artificial. And also the thing with the pneumatic tubes is it makes moves that are fairly jerky and not that natural. So they're okay for broad movements like in the Jungle Cruise and they were okay for the birds, but actually what they did was they decided to use hydraulics. So that's the same system as tubes, but instead of being filled with air or gas, they're filled with liquids, just like the hydraulics in your car. And so they originally had the hydraulics uh, for the birds as well because it gave them a more controlled movement. So a a little more natural like that. And that is what they did when they started to do Mr. Lincoln and the Carousel of Progress. This time, what they did to even get better movement than the reeds they used initially in the birds for the human figures, you need much more control uh, to get more natural movements. And so what they did is they used something called the solenoid coil. So again, you know, they had Imagineers hooked up to these harnesses and they would record the movements onto the tape. And then when the tape played back, it would stimulate the electrical signal would stimulate the solenoid coil and caused the movement in the figure and so it was pretty natural especially for those days it was amazingly natural it's still slightly jerky you know the human body when it moves it, it seems very smooth but what will happen when you when your arm is moving to a certain place it will sometimes often overreach, but then quickly adjust in a way that's kind of microscopic you can b- barely see that and it wasn't until more recently that Disney's able to do that same thing with the animatronics. So basically the magnetic tapes got replaced by magnetic disks and computer. And they created a computer system where they don't have to have an Imagineer hooked up to harnesses doing the movements. They can do it all electronically using knobs and settings on their system, on their control panel. And so that way they're able to get much more refined movements and the motors, are much better these days too. So that's why I like that Johnny Depp character in Pirates of the Caribbean is so much smoother than the older uh, animatronics. So originally the tiki birds were hydraulics. So they had fluid in them and that's what they did for the, the figures as well. And during the world's fair, when they had moments, great moments of Mr. Lincoln uh, on one of the performances, he began to leak and the fluid was red. And so, you know, it looked like blood. Not a great image, considering what happened to Abraham Lincoln. Um, so, you know, obviously they stopped the show. They fixed fixed him up. But at that point, uh, Walt decided on the Tiki birds, where you don't need that fine a movement. Let's get rid of the, the liquids. We don't want liquids dripping onto people in the audience. Let's go with with air on that one. But the rest were hydraulics. All those other figures were based on hydraulics so that's a little overview of animatronics but uh, let's get back to our story in any case they had you know the tiki birds which debuted in 1963 in the enchanted tiki room and they wanted to push this technology a little bit further and along came the opportunity with the world's fair and the opportunity to not just develop these audio animatronics but to have it paid for by sponsors so again And just as in the case of Edison Square, GE was interested in being a sponsor. And so they decided to bring this idea back. And when they were doing it, um, I think it was Bob Gurr who said, uh, hey, Claude Coates had this idea for a rotating theater. Why don't we use that for the show? And so the idea that Claude Coates had that was original was that uh, rotating theaters kind of existed at that point, but they were ones where the stage rotated and the people stayed the same, but Claude Coates had the idea of how about if the stage was fixed, but you rotated the audience around. And so that's what became the carousel of progress. In fact, um, originally Edison Square was gonna be in this cul-de-sac behind Tomorrowland. And that very space was often used for a lot of different projects, ideas that didn't come to fruition. And uh, one of them was called Science Land. And that's where Claude Coates had the idea for this rotating theater. And so they reused it, like I said earlier, they reuse a lot, no idea, no good idea goes to waste that Disney eventually gets used. So it became used and, you know, the theater was built by uh, Bob Gere, Bob Gurr, sorry, very famous uh, Disney Imagineer, Bob Gurr, who is still with us and Roger E. Brogy. So the two of them constructed the, the carousel of progress in terms of the theater the way the stage was constructed, there's really six sections to it. So there's four sections that you're all familiar with for the show. And then there's one section for loading and another section for unloading. So uh, the four sections for people who haven't seen the show before was basically showing progress in technology in 20-year increments, roughly. So the first scene is the turn of the century, late 1890s. Second scene is supposed to be the 1920s. And then the third scene is 1940s. And then the fourth scene is the 1960s, which brought us up to the present at that time. And of course it featured a lot of GE products and uh, references to the GE medallion home in the original. That was the whole point of the, the World's Fair and GE promoting it. And you know, eventually it was still that way when it got brought back to Disneyland after the World's Fair was over. So you have the four different time periods you also have four different seasons or four different holidays, right? The first one is Valentine's day. The second one is 4th of July. The third one is Halloween. And then the last one is Christmas day. And those four sections also, besides being 20 year increments, are supposed to represent the turn of the century represents before electricity. And the 1920s is supposed to wrap the early early days of electricity. And then the 1940s are kind of the beginning of the electronic age. That's really where electronics starts to take off and they're in every home, they're ubiquitous and they're constantly improving. And then 1960, as I mentioned before, was this GE medallion home. Now the ending has been updated multiple times. Uh, In 1964, at the World's Fair, they had a second floor called the Sky Dome Spectacular. When they moved it to Disneyland in 1967, the second floor was a model of Progress City. So that was Walt's early name for what was going to be Epcot. Of course, what's Epcot today is nothing like what Walt had envisioned. It was experimental prototype city of tomorrow, or progress city, and so there's a model of this big city and what it was going to look like. Uh, also, in the mid to late six, later 60s, the home was updated, and any reference to GE's Medallion home was dropped. Although there's still references to, to GE, uh, the Disneyland version was closed on September 9th, 1973, and moved to Disney World. Uh, shortly thereafter. So basically it opened at Disney World on January 15th, 1975. The Progress City model was now part of the Woodway People Mover. So if you've ever been on the Woodway People Mover in Walt Disney World, it kind of goes through Space Mountain and it also goes above the Carousel of Progress that basically the second level that you don't see otherwise. But in there, we have a model of the Progress City model. And also when they moved it to, to Walt Disney World, they changed the song. So you know, the original song is uh, "There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, which I think everybody's familiar with. It's uh, almost kind of a theme song of Disney. But when they moved it to Walt Disney World, GE, who was still a sponsor when it moved to Walt Disney World, um, they didn't want people to wait for tomorrow to have all the great GE appliances. Um, so they wanted something that emphasized the present. And so the Sherman Brothers who wrote It's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. And also they wrote all those other Disney songs that you know, particularly um, It's a Small World After All. All these songs that get stuck in your head, It's a Small World. Uh, The songs from Mary Poppins, they're all Sherman Brothers. So they wrote this new song called Now is the Time. And so that was the new song. That was there for a few years. And then it kind of switched back to It's a Great, Big, Beautiful Tomorrow in uh, 1993. So I'll talk a little bit of some other changes here. The last scene, as I mentioned, changed uh, several times. In 1981, it was changed from Christmas to New Year's. So it was New Year's Eve in the home of the 80s. And then in 85, they removed all the references to GE. GE was no longer a sponsor. They had done it for 10 years. Um, so they got rid of all the references. There's still a couple. If you look very carefully, you can see uh, General Electric on some of the older um, appliances. There's 32 figures in all, mostly human, but there's a dog, there's some birds. One interesting difference between the version of it when it was in Disneyland and versus when it was in Disney World is that the in Disneyland, the theater turned clockwise and now in Disney World, it goes counterclockwise. Also some fun trivia about the different uh, voices in the show. So originally the father, and this is mainly the one that they talk about online, you get a lot of information on the other characters. But the original father was Rex Allen, who was a singing cowboy. So he did the voice for the father there. When it moved to Disney World in 1975, they had a new cast of voices and Andrew Duggan was the father. And more notably, uh, or a more notable name in uh, 1993, when they switched back the scene to be Christmas in the house of, two th- of the 2000s, uh, Gene Shepard became the father the voice of the father uh, Gene Shepard for those of you who don't know is the guy who wrote the the book on which uh, Christmas story is based and uh, Rex Allen who had been the voice of the father is his voice used for the grandfather now and those are the, the current voices that you hear if you if you go on the ride also interesting about the song was uh, the Sherman brothers said when Walt only wanted the song. A, they had a time limit in which this song could play out as you're moving from one scene to the next. They wanted to be able to do a whole verse and chorus of the song, and they wanted to be able to change the style of the song so it fit each decade. So originally, it was like a different style for it was ragtime in the 1920s, it was swing music in the 1940s, and Montavani for the 1960s. But eventually, they updated that and just went with a contemporary version of the song, which is what you currently hear. Okay, so why is this ride important other than being one of the first audio animatronic rides? uh, It's also important because it's one of the last rides that Disney really worked on, Walt Disney worked on. We've talked about this before. The, The very last ride that he pretty much saw from beginning to end was the Pirates of the Caribbean. He died shortly before it opened, but it was pretty much finished. And then the Honda Mansion, you know, he had a lot of input into that and they worked on it for years, but... He died three years before that finished. So it's not a full Walt ride, although it's pretty much a Walt ride. But the bigger issue is that Walt was very involved in Carousel of Progress. It was his vision for the story. Uh, people there, like uh, Fowler, who, Joseph Fowler, who kind of oversaw the development of Walt Disney World, uh, one of the boats is named after him if you take the boat from the transportation center to the Magic Kingdom he said like Walt would get on stage and he would act out the parts so that they would know what these animatronics were gonna do. So this is all very much in Walt's being and kind of what he was about. He was, he loved technology and it's not hard to see why because you know, in the fifties when they were building Disney World, it was a very great time of great great optimism for technology. You had a booming economy had the highway system you had the space race, you had the satellites. you had polio had just been cured. And if you ever talk to somebody who lived through that, like it was really scary and people were really scared about their children and what they were gonna do to, and how could they avoid getting polio. And then this vaccine came along and now nobody gets polio. So it was a time of great optimism for technology. And, you know, Walt had lived a life and seen a lot of the impact of technology and really believed in technology and science. So this was kind of his homage to technology and is very much part of who he is his whole the park and all things Disney are kind of it's all about technology and optimism there's always a sense of optimism in the park and you know, he wants you to leave there with the kind of that feeling of optimism and wonder and so that's what the park is designed for and that's why this ride really captures Walt's well spirit and that's why I think it stays uh, regardless and you know I was one who thought they should update it a lot and change it maybe from 1900 to 1940. So that'd be two original scenes, and then do 1980 and then 2020. So it'd be more update. But the reason they don't, I don't think they should do that. And the reason why I like the ride so much is is this because when I first went on it, I just imagined, you know, what it was like for somebody to live through those time periods and see that amount of change. When you look at it, it's kind of staggering the amount of change. I imagine my grandmother, who was born around 1916, what her life had changed. And You know, back then, even when she was born, I mean, electricity was around, but not everybody had it. You know, so a lot of people in rural rural areas who grew up without running water, without electricity, no cars, and then all of a sudden you have running water. You know, you have electricity, then you have cars, then you have planes, then you have computers, you have rockets. So imagine that those leaps in technology in one lifetime. And when I you know, thought about my grandmother, well, you know, who was born earlier than 1916? Walt Disney, right? He was born at the turn of the century. This is his life. This is what he experienced in the changes in technology. And the fun thing that I like to think about a lot is the pace of technology and the amount of change in technology. So when I look at my life compared to like Walt's life, again, you know, they went from having horse and buggies and having no running having outhouses and no electricity kerosene lamps to all of a sudden having model T's and electricity and phones and TVs radio they didn't have radio till like the 20s radio television all these huge changes in their lives almost constantly every 5 10 years a big change is coming along and i think about my life growing up and where i am now <clears throat> There have certainly been lots of changes in technology, but they're faster and smaller. Like a car, the car I drive today does not look and feel much different than the car my parents had when I was a kid. There's a computer in there now, but in terms of the way it runs and everything and how it feels and drives, it's basically the same. Airplanes are basically the same. In some ways, air travel is worse, right? It's a bigger headache than it used to be. Driving a car is a bigger headache. There's more traffic and everything. So in some ways things are getting worse in that way, but the technology hasn't really changed in in those big areas. The highway system is still the same Eisenhower highway system from the fifties. So there aren't those huge changes, but there are in certain areas. Like obviously computer is the biggest area in our lifetime, my lifetime where things have changed. There were computers when I was a kid, but then they got small and they became affordable so that people could have them in their homes. And we had phones. So they had cords on them. Then there were cordless phones. Then there were cell phones. And now we have it all in one device. We have our computer, basically have a little computer in the power of our hand that does phone calls and videos and, and everything else. That's been the biggest change, but even those changes, you know, they came kind of incrementally. So it's just an interesting comparison. I think if you think about that, when you're on the ride, you'll have a greater appreciation for the ride. So that is my spiel about the ride and why I like it and why I think it's important to the history of Disney. And I'll wrap this up I'm going to leave you with this incredible story that I saw on the davelandweb.com which I've mentioned a couple of times. The story doesn't come from Dave davelandweb directly. It comes from a book uh, of stories compiled by Chad Denver Emerson and this particular story is from Michael Scopa. But uh, the Chad Denver Emerson book is called Four Decades of Magic, celebrating the first 40 years of Disney World. So it's a a good book if you want to check that out. But here's the story that Chad compiled and it came from Michael Scopa. And I'm just going to summarize. I'm not going to go through the the whole story. But an interesting question often is, you know, who was the figure of the father who is basically the host of the show? Who is that based on? you know quite often with disney like you see with the seven dwarfs and stuff the animators used each other to draw characters and they were the kind of the basis for that kind of thing and you see in haunted mansion even like some of the bus the singing bus they're actually based on other people that worked on, on the ride but this one is not that kind of story so what happened was uh, there was an executive for ge and people at disney approached them they thought he would look look like a good character for this ride to be the host. And so they asked him if he would pose to, you know, have basically a statue, not a a sculpture of him made that would be used for the ride. And he was uh, thrilled to do it. Now, unfortunately in this story, I can't find the person's first name. The last name is Alger, A-L-G-E-R. But the story centers around his daughter, which I'll get to in a second, his daughter, Joanne Stolberg. So, Apparently, Mr. Alger, he posed to be the father in Carousel of Progress. They made the ride. He had seen it, but he didn't tell his family. He was gonna surprise them. When the, World's Fair, when the World's Fair opened, he was gonna take them and just go in there and then just see their faces when they recognized that that was him on stage, the animatronic. But sadly, tragically, he died before that happened. So the family didn't know that that was him and the family didn't go uh, probably because they're grieving. They didn't go to the, the World's Fair to see the ride. So it wasn't until 36 years later that his daughter, Joanne Stolberg Alger visited Walt Disney World with their children and found her father sitting center stage at Carousel of Progress. Unfortunately, her 77 year old mother at the time, Doris, had not made the trip with her, Doris Stolberg. So, all right, I've already screwed up the story then. So the, the father was not an Alger. That was the daughter's married name, but a Stolberg. So, But unfortunately, I don't know who the, what the first name is. So Joanne decides to bring her mother back to see this, but she wants to do a big surprise. So she called Disney and told them the story and they were able to verify it that indeed her father was the model for the figure in Carousel Progress. So they said, yes, please come. We're gonna take photos. We're gonna do a little press thing. And so they came, they didn't tell the mother. And, you know, can you imagine this? I mean, they had the whole theater to themselves plus some Disney folks. And, you know, when the mother recognized her husband she just like put her hand over her mouth, and gasped and was commenting how how much it looked like him and how it was like he was alive and you know she's crying everybody's crying at this place so what a moment what a story that is so i'll leave you with that that's a little bit of magic uh from uh, the carousel of progress so uh, that is our episode thank you for listening and we'll see you real soon